Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss. You're listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. What does it take to become a bestseller on Amazon? What does it take to dominate your crowdfunding category? And one of the things that's interesting is that in the board game space where so many of my guests come from, that seems to be one of the goals, is to find a way to break out of the noise that is happening in the industry. And my current guest that I have today has done just that. And he's done it, and I think, in a way that might surprise you. And so I want to welcome uh, Jeff Beck with Grandpa Beck's Games. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it, Richard. You know, I, I laugh because that's not a mouthful to say, but when I suddenly had to say it, that was a mouthful. Jeff <laughs> Jeff Beck, Grandpa Beck's Games. And Grandpa Beck's Games is named after, uh, I think you were saying, your father. Is that correct? Yes. My dad is uh, is the owner of the company, along with my mom, and uh, his face is on, on all the boxes. So he's kind of the brand image for the company as well. You, you know, I was going to ask whose face is on the, name, uh, on, on the front. Now we know. It's your dad. Well, that's kind of fun that... Uh, that you're working for your father for a board game or a card game or just a game in general uh, company. Let's talk about the company just real quick so those who understand and know it, because many people in the board game space might not be f- familiar with the game, right? Yeah, we, we have a, a product line of, of five games, we, um, which, which will be expanding to seven this year. My parents started the business about 10 years ago, uh, kind of in the downturn of, of the economy and the recession. Um, my dad is an airline pilot. And in the post 9-11 world, wasn't feeling as secure in his career and wanted to have uh, another stream of income in order to help pay for five kids to go to college and, and to make sure that his pension was, was going to be secure. Um, he wanted to, to have another, another source of income. So. Sorry to interrupt, but are you telling me that an airline pilot who makes pretty good money decided to get a more secure job and started a board game company? Oh, he, it wasn't so much a, a matter of security. He had a, he had a, connection that he that he met through someone else who, who said it was going to be an easy thing to do <laughs> and uh and a pretty uh pretty easy thing to make a game my dad had a game idea of uh, of a classic game that we played and he said that well i'll do the artwork i've got the connections to sell it it's going to be a turnkey operations and, and you'll just make some money from it so that was uh that was the plan kind of how it started um uh, long story short it wasn't easy <laughs> and uh and uh, it caused uh, a lot of stress and uh, a lot of debt before it ever turned into anything. But um, a couple of years into starting the business after their, their first game, Golf, which was our, our, our first game we produced and also to this day our, our worst seller. <laughs> after, after creating that, they, uh, they created another game called Cover Your Assets, which was based off of another classic card game that they've been taught by some friends. And uh, with those two games, they, they went to Toy Fair um, and, and tried to launch the company by getting the attention of distributors and stores. And uh, my dad frequently talks about being there for a week and being in his booth and having no one talk to him. Um, I, th- I think they had a couple of connections that ended up happening later, but they they were pretty much ignored, which which you'd expect from a, a small company starting out. Um, and, is it, and this was at the New York Toy Fair? So the New York Toy Fair, yep. They they'd been told that the kind of the way to get ahead was to go to these these um, retailer oriented shows and make connections and find partners that were going to go and pitch the product for them. And that was that was their initial goal was to go and find distributors that would carry the product line. And and having been to the New York Toy Fair, it's massive. And if yes. you have a booth, you are crammed in some random corner where you're just hoping somebody randomly walks by and talks to you. 
Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. I'm, and uh, I'm guessing it didn't go well. No, it was it was a long week and a frustrating week, and and honestly, it was a long first few years. Um, and uh, they probably probably should have given up. A lot, a lot of people told them that they should, <laughs> and uh, uh, but uh, they they had a product that they knew um, had a lot of potential because everyone who played the, the this first game that really did well, cover your assets, really really liked it. And uh, when they would go and and show it to people. Um, they they would they would want to know how they could purchase it and where they could get it, um, and that eventually led to a, a shift in the way that we that we started to sell our products. Now that's interesting because that's one of the things that we want to talk about. Now we're we're on the and and this also brings up because one of the things that you posted recently in one of the Facebook groups was that you had you have a Kickstarter project called Cover Your, cover Ki- your Kingdom. Cover Your Kingdom, and one of the things you said was that you were grateful because you quit your job for this, and. And it has successfully funded. And, and I was worried at the time that not knowing more about that $50,000 of funding for a card game is not something to quit your job over. No, no, it's not. <laughs> but, and we're going to talk about that just in a moment. But what we want to talk about is kind of this, this pivot that your company did, your father, you, the, the family, that you pivoted away from this one path and this one game and then took cover your assets and took it in a different direction that seems to have paid off, uh, particularly. And let's talk about that, that kind of that pivot that you did. Yeah, so the, the emphasis at the beginning, like I said, was to find retail partners, to find distributors who were going to carry the brand for us. Um, eventually, though, uh, through some discussions that my parents had with, with other people within the community, and, um, and due to uh, my mom really wanted to shift the emphasis, they, they started to focus on, on retail shows and, and going to gift shows and so and hang on, a, let me understand that. What's a retail show? Because I thought Toy Fair, isn't that a retail show or is that, no, that's because you're talking to distributors. And I am familiar with game conventions, but when you say a retail sto- a show, what are you talking about? Well, some of those were, were, were um, gaming conventions as well, but they're, they wanted to go to conventions that were more focused on the general public coming through, demoing games and purchasing items directly at that convention rather than going to shows where they were looking to make business connections. Um, and, and that change in emphasis, and we've done a, a wide variety of different types of shows. We've done, uh, we've done game-oriented shows. We've done gift shows. Um, we've done a genealogy convention it, that's been really successful for us. We've gone to pinners conventions. So a, a wide variety of different shows. But basically, we're looking for, for the demographic that, that uh, our games do well with, which is parents and grandparents, because most of our product lineup to this point in time has been very focused in, in the family market. And what they discovered is that by going to these shows and having a face that connected with the product and, and being able to sit down and teach people the games and tell the family story of how these games are developed around our kitchen table and, and the passion that we have in the products that we produce and, uh, and how much fun they, they've been for our family and for other families, they, they started to establish footholds and connections within, within certain markets. And um, after going and establishing that presence, the, the next thing that we did is we really started to focus on selling on Amazon, so we could we could reconnect with those people after going to their communities to sell games to them. So let me understand because one, I'm in the tech industry, and the idea of going around and peddling your game one consumer at a time seems incredibly inefficient and does not scale. That you just cannot. There's just not enough time and not enough people to wander by your booth. But it sounds like that you found a way to make that successful. I, I'm having a difficult time understanding how you. The, 
the operation of putting a game in front of an individual at a show, the cost of going to that show, the time going to that show, and then the number of people who wander by. I mean, you can sh- how often can you demo the game? 20, 30, 40 times? And then you get a fraction of those sales. To me, the math doesn't seem to add up, but you must have had something there that, that actually tipped this in the direction of success. So part of it is is our product line um, up until recently has been very consistent across the board. The, the price point of all the games is the same. The packaging size is the same. And all of them are card games that were based on two decks. So it, it made it really easy to convert sales. And all of the games are, are fairly simple to explain. I can give you a, an explanation of, of how any one of the, the five original games on our product line works in 20 to 30 seconds. And, uh, and our emphasis on those shows was distribution. We wanted to we give really uh, attractive offers to get people to buy the games and to play them. And then once they are in people's homes, they, they spread virally. Um, how, they did are you, all, how did you stay in touch with those people? Did you collect names or anything, or was it just a matter of them staying in touch with you? Uh, it, more than anything, it's, it would, I mean, stay in touch isn't so much the factor as they would play the games and then they would become basically our own sales force. We've, we've, I, I like to say that we are um, the, the most effective multi-level marketing company <laughs> in, 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 the, in the country because we go out and we, we promote our games, we teach them to people, and then they go and they sell them to, our friends, to their friends for us. We, we get people at every single convention that come up to us and they go, you know, you really, you really should be paying me because after I played this game... <laughs> I've had I've had X number of friends and family members who who have bought it, um, and uh, and because we've been producing new games and establish these connections, when we return to pre- to shows where we've been the previous year, we we have people come up and literally buy games by the bagful, fifteen, twenty, thirty games at a time to, to distribute to their neighborhood. The, the new Grandpa Beck game. Yeah. Because they showed it, their friends wanted it, and if you weren't, didn't have a strong presence on Amazon at the time, they're just waiting for that show so they can get back there and just hand those things out like candy. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of them returned to purchase through Amazon. Other ones uh, in the markets where we have a, a relationship with local game stores, they'll go there to find the games. Um, but Amazon really is is the the greatest source of of retention and discovery, and that's something that we're that we're building up now. We really have been focused in the last uh, year and a half to two years on building our our email list and our social media presence, so that we can connect with people in in other means than just going to, to places in person. Let's talk about your uh, your Amazon strategy then, because as I go out right now and I just do a quick look, bestsellers, bestselling card games, boom, there's a uh, one or two of your games that are on the top 100 bestselling card games on Amazon right now today. And as you mentioned, as I looked at Cover Your Assets, um, nearly 1,700 uh, almost near perfect scores of reviewers that are loving your game. And so I got to believe that that it took some time, but that seems to be uh, working well for you. Yeah, honestly, you usually have to pay someone in China to give you reviews that positive <laughs> on a product. But these are uh, these are are 100 organic. Um, in fact, we were at an Amazon convention uh, just two days ago. My dad and I went to to a, a trading uh, convention there on on Amazon's headquarters in, in downtown Seattle, and uh, employees as they pull up our account. They kind of look at it and then they give us this funny look and go, no, they're real. <laughs> and uh, they have a hard time believing the, uh, the amount of positivity. Um, and in that same positivity on, on for our second bestseller, Skull King, is, is mirrored on Board Game Geek, where the board game community really loves that. It's got a great, great rating in, in the high sevens and one of the highest rated trick-taking games. But Cover Your Assets, is, it's got a median score of probably about six and a half on, on Board Game Geek. So among the, the gaming community... It's considered a, 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 a good, uh, solid title, but within the family gaming community, it is absolutely loved, and, and that's that's for a couple of reasons. For one, the mechanics are, are easy to grasp, um, so you can you can play it with younger kids or with grandparents or everyone in between. 
Um, it has a, a lot of luck components in it, but it also has a ton of personal interactions. So you get to play in that game the role of a hero or a, or a villain as you're stealing and defending different piles of assets that are going back and forth. Um, and because of the, the really emotional aspect of that game, um, it spreads really quickly. One family plays it with another and, and they teach it to their friends and, and it's, it's, um, it's kind of grown through that way. And, and, and a lot of those people, they can say, I learned this game from grandma and grandpa Beck. I met them at a convention uh, or, or the person that I met, met them and, or, or I have a cousin who's related oh my to gosh. them. And, and, and so the amount of product loyalty is, is insane. So when someone buys that game on Amazon, uh, they're, tra- they're almost tracing their lineage back to how do I, how, how, how do I know grandpa Beck? Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and, and so as a result of that, when we reach back out to them and we send a follow up email through Amazon and say, we appreciate your purchase and something that you can do to help our, our family business to grow is, is by leaving us an honest review. Uh, people respond in higher numbers than they normally would. And they just gush about how much they, they love the products and they, they love the experience with, uh, with our family. Let's shift just a little bit then because we've been talking about how you successfully identified, you pivoted, found a market, found a distribution, found an audience that loves your product. These are all the classic, the classic steps of effectively penetrating a market and dominating. And now you're doing the next classic step and that is once you have a dominant market, you're looking to expand into an adjacent market. And in this case, you're going the op- you're going upstream compared to most of the people who have been on the show or who are even listening. And that is most people who have games start in the board game space. BGG is where they start. They live there. They, they, everything happens there. But you started in this, in this family-friendly consumer space and now are moving into the board game space. And this is where we're going to talk about your Kickstarter campaign because you kind of wanted to get some attention in there as well, right? Yeah, we, we have a couple of titles that really already appeal to the more board game geek market and Skulking and our newest title, The Bears and the Bees. And we're starting to see some penetration within that market and excitement uh, in that community. A big part of that has been our outreach on social media through Instagram and Facebook and connecting with these different board gaming communities and, and sending out review copies to, to people who might not have considered us before. And, and they're playing the games and going, wow, this, this is actually a lot deeper and, and a lot more strategic and fun than, than we had originally thought. And we, we thought this was a kind of a family market, but we're finding that there's crossover appeal uh, between some of our products. And, uh, and so most of our games have had one foot very firmly planted in the, in the family market and then kind of a toe dipped into into the more traditional board game world and i saw in in our title cover your assets the opportunity to to reverse that and make a game that was primarily based for the core board game consumer but that was still accessible to the family market um and uh and so I, i i took the core mechanics of of cover your assets which has turned it into one of the the best selling card games in america for families and i built around it a framework and and additional strategy and complexity to make it interesting for gamers like myself that that that, that spend their nights playing games that uh, that cost a lot more and have a lot more components than the ones that that my my family had traditionally produced. You know, and what's interesting about this is that I've had guests on the show, uh, particularly Aldo Giazzi, who uh, has been on the show, and he's always said that, look, slap a dragon and a wizard on it, and it's going to sell in the gaming community. And well, we've got a, a dragon and a wizard in our in our games, so uh, right, I we see have both that, of them. Right, you've got, <laughs> you, and and sure enough, it's made that transition. What what is different as you make this transition? Um, and for let, let me just do a clarification for those who are wondering: the the Kickstarter project is called Cover Your Kingdom. Uh, you 
far exceeded your goal of uh, publishing. You've got 1,100 backers. And one of the things that we were going to talk about was how do you attract backers to your Kickstarter um, campaign? But what's interesting is that you came to Kickstarter not necessarily – I've got to be careful how I phrase this – not necessarily to raise the money, but to raise the awareness. Is yeah, we're right? very honest about that. If you read the bottom of our campaign page, I, I explain it very explicitly that we – we don't need the funding in order to produce the game. We've been very fortunate that the company is 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 doing well. It took a long time to get to the point where it was making any money, but it is it is successful now. Successful enough that I was able to quit my full time job um, working in in healthcare to come on and help my parents with the business a few months ago. Um, and uh, so the Kickstarter campaign really was kind of our debutante ball in some ways, and it was it was presenting uh, a, a kind of a new face to the company to a new community and introducing a new game and also at the same time introducing the products that 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 we knew will do well we know that will do well in that space as well so the the kickstarter campaign is really focused around selling this game but also um selling our other games and and i i built the packages out specifically to drive people to the bragging level package which is 49 dollars, which includes a copy of cover your kingdom plus our other three bestsellers that are that are best geared towards the casual and and competitive gaming market, which are cover your assets, skulking, and the bears and the bees. So I'm looking at it right now, and you you limited it. They're only you're only allowing 375 people to get that bragging level pledge. So that is that's been part of the strategy that uh, that I've been employing during the campaign is I update that that quantity every so often to create the feeling of scarcity. And that was that was just something I read in another blog, and it's actually been effective in in driving people to that purchase point. Well, but everything is is built around. So what happens? So you've only got 18 left. What happens when you round up the 18? What are people going to do? I just update it every every four hours or so and keep it about 20 to 25 above the the current limit. Really? All right. So here I was going to back it because I only there were only 18 left. Now, Jeff, now you're telling me that, no, they'll just, you'll just add 20 more. <laughs> well, we'll keep it a secret, just between uh, the two of us. All right, we won't, we won't tell anybody, uh, not the thousands who are listening. <laughs> and so let's, let's talk, as we've only got a few more minutes uh, as we wrap up. Um, For sure. Is there some advice that you would give, as people are listening here, um, one of the biggest challenges, and again, I'm going to re- reference back to my friend Aldo, who says that the best thing that he always tells people when you want to get your word out is, Conventions, conventions, conventions. And it sounds like this has been a very strong strategy for you. Is there, a, is there a piece of advice that you would give to those listening who are looking to launch their own game company, their game product, that you could give to them to help them maybe avoid or bypass some of the mistakes that you guys made? Um, I mean, I would talk to a little bit about the, the kind of the mistake of focusing on the retailers and distributors up front. Until you have established a name for yourself, they aren't going to care about you is, is quite frankly the thing. So unless you've had a, a, a phenomenally successful Kickstarter campaign, which we are learning is a really time consuming and, and expensive process, or if you've established yourself through another retail space, it's going to be hard to appeal to that group. Um, so the group you need to appeal to is, is directly to consumers. And in order to do that, you need to build a product that is compelling and, and that people are willing to buy. And uh, in order to do that, you need to first have a good game and the way to know you have a good game is to look for feedback all of the time. Uh, you need to put it out in front of people. You need to ask for feedback. And if you're sending it to, to playtesters who are telling you that they love every single thing about it, find new playtesters. You need to find people who, who pick it apart, who complain, who, who give you the, the things that they don't like. And, and then you look for patterns within what they're saying of, of, of the problems that they have with your games, and you fix those problems. Um, and uh, 
and then part of it is, is you just got to be lucky. We, we really can't can't attribute everything um, that has happened to a particular skill set or, or us doing things uh, better than others. We've uh, uh, we've made a fair share of mistakes and we've, we've been fortunate and blessed to, to have found some success. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the 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 personal connection, though, and going out and talking to people and and being honest about what you're doing and, and what you're trying to achieve, that I think is really paid dividends to my parents um, who have been very open about the process and the struggles with, with the people that they've talked to along the way. Jeff, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate the insights that you've brought. And I think this will be a, an eye opener for a lot of people who are listening. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it too. Thank you. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Jeff Beck from Grandpa Beck's Games. And we've been talking about a little bit about his Cover Your Kingdom uh, Kickstarter project, but mostly about how to pivot your company and your product into the marketplace so that you can stand out from the crowd and find some success. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you found something inspiring. And join us on Facebook at our Facebook group, Funding the Dream on Kickstarter podcast Facebook group. Thanks for listening. Take care.